Okay. Wow. So after the executive series, do you even remember what we were, what series we're in before the executive? Luke. Luke, right? It's been a while. So we are now embarking in Luke again, and we are, like Brian says, we are in chapter eight. And so before we start, let's start with a video. The sanctuary of our teacher, the ancient one. The ancient one? What's his real name? Right. Forget everything I think I know. Sorry. Thank you for... Whoa. Okay, that's a, a thing. Thank you. Hello. Oh, thank you. And thank you. Uh, thank you, Ancient One, for seeing me. You're very welcome. The Ancient One. Thank you, Master Mordo. Thank you, Master Hamir. Mr. Strange. Doctor, actually. Well, no, not anymore, surely. Isn't that why you're here? You've undergone many procedures. Seven, right? Yeah. It's good tea. Yes. Did you heal a man named Pangborn, a paralyzed man? In a way. You helped him to walk again? Yes. How did you correct a complete C7, C8 spinal cord injury? Well, I didn't correct it. He couldn't walk. I convinced him that he could. You're not suggesting it was psychosomatic. When you reattach a severed nerve, is it you who heals it back together or the body? It's the cells. And the cells are only programmed to put themselves back together in very specific ways. Right. What if I told you that your own body could be convinced to put itself back together in all sorts of ways? We're talking about cellular regeneration. That's leading edge medical tech. Is that why you're working here without a governing medical board? I mean, just how experimental is your treatment? Quite. So you figured out a way to reprogram nerve cells to self-heal? No, Mr. Strange. I know how to reorient the spirit to better heal the body. The spirit? To heal the body. Right. All right, how do we do that? Where do we start? Don't like that map? Oh, no, it's, it's really good. It's just, you know, I've seen it before in gift shops. <laughs> and what about this one? Acupuncture, great. Yeah. What about that one? Showing me an MRI scan. I do not believe this. Each of those maps was drawn up by someone who could see in part, but not the whole. I spent my last dollar getting here. One way ticket, and you're talking to me about healing through belief. You're a man looking at the world through a keyhole, and you spent your whole life trying to widen that keyhole, to see more, to know more. And now, on hearing that it can be widened in ways you can't imagine, you reject the possibility. No, I reject it because I do not believe in fairy tales about chakras or energy or the power of belief. There is no such thing as spirit. We are made of matter and nothing more. You're just another tiny 
momentary speck within an indifferent universe. You think too little of yourself. Oh, you think you see through me, do you? Well, you don't. But I see through you! So let's uh, do a review. I think it's a good thing to do a review of where we're, we came from, right? So uh, the question has always been in Luke of the population uh, in the whole is that the question is, what were you expecting? Superman? That's, that's the question that Jesus keeps on asking. What were you expecting? Superman? Somebody that will solve all your problems? Somebody would, uh, that would like, uh, get rid of your uh, bad boss, somebody that would get rid of your bad coworker, somebody that would solve your grades, somebody that would uh, give you a good job, somebody that would give you a spouse, somebody that would reward you with all your efforts, somebody that would, you know, blah, blah, blah. What were you expecting? Superman? A miracle worker? Were you expecting things uh, that you just wanted from Jesus? How about now, today? When you believe in Jesus, what were you expecting to happen after when you believe? Well, let me tell you. I bet you didn't expect to do more work. I bet you didn't expect to have more trials. I bet that you didn't expect that your faith was going to be challenged even more so. And I bet that you didn't realize how patient you have to be in order for God to speak. That's where we're coming from in Luke so far. Jesus has been actually pushing and pushing this envelope for the Jews, saying, what were you expecting me to do for you, folks? We're expecting me to do this or that. See, for the Jews, you can't blame them. Historically, they've gone through a lot. For the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New, they've been through a lot. They've been conquered by many, 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 many uh, nations. Persians, right? Uh, the Greeks. And then suddenly the Romans. And now they are still the, uh, conquered by the Romans. They're being exploited. Sometimes the Roman centurions would come to their house and then knock, knock, knock. They'll take your child away just for the sake of entertainment. That's for them. Uh, sometimes they go, knock, 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 I need, you, I, I need your children to be my slave. Boom, they're gone. Knock, 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 I would take your husband away because I want them to fight the gladiator. Gone. Right? So the Jews have been going through a lot. Right? And so then in their minds, they go, maybe this is history repeating itself, though. Because maybe it's, a, like, it's that we sin too much. Right? Uh, you know, during those 400 years, and even our kings, yeah, they failed really horribly. You know, after Solomon marrying too many wives, he just like uh, sinned and then went boom, the downhill spiral, and then uh, we disobeyed, and that's why God's no longer talking to us. So then, what are we supposed to do? Okay, I remember now. Uh, what did Moses say? Moses told us to pray and obey commandments. Cool, let's do that. Let's do that to the T. So they kept on trying to do that and do that for the past 400 years. And then there's like various groups of people that say, okay, I could do better. No, I could do better. No, I could do that. No, I got the right way. I got the right way. It's kind of like church actually, right? So it's like everybody was trying to figure out the best way to get God to speak to them again. To God, to usher God's presence back into their temple. Everybody. Uh, there were so many groups you could never imagine. But the top two groups that's always mentioned in the Bible in the New Testament are what? The Pharisees, the Essenes, and the Sadducees, right? They were the top three guys, three groups in the Bible. And then what were they thinking? So if I could get God, if I obey and, get, and I could convince God that, that you know, we're in trouble and, and then we got our commandments now, who would he send? Well, he usually sends a prophet. 
He'll send a hero. He'll send somebody that will come in and say, God's coming back. And then a hero, a king, a mighty warrior like Rambo is going to come in and gun down every single Roman. And in fact, in their literature, some of the Pharisees would say, would drown them in the river like pigs. That's how they want the Romans to feel, right? Is that they are pigs and they're going to drown. I want somebody to drown them. That's what they wanted, all right? So there's, because you know why? History repeats itself. Guess who else drowned? Who was it that oppressed the Israelites? Then suddenly, uh, God drowned them. The Egyptians, thank you, who said that? Okay, yeah, yeah, you're the faithful one. Okay, so you're like the Egyptians, right? Moses took the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. Uh, then the Pharaoh, for some odd reason, he decided, oh, changed my mind. And then they decided to uh, chase them down and into the, uh, uh, the Red Sea, and then they split it, and da 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 And then the Pharaoh gets stupidly goes down to the Red Sea, don't know why, and then he drowns, right? So then they were thinking, ah, that might happen again. That if we obey, if we have the right way in the method, the right way to get God to speak to us again, we'll have a hero to come down to save us from these bad Romans so that we could get on with our lovely lives again. We can get back to the normal routine, get back to the normal honky-dory peaceful life that we used to have. That's what they were expecting. That's what they were expecting Jesus to do. And then they go, maybe they would send me a judge as well. You know, judges? Remember those judges? Maybe they would send those judges. Mighty warriors, too. Uh, how many of you have heard about a, a judge that went to a guy's, their enemy's uh, territory? The king uh, was taking a dump. The judge went to the washroom and stabbed him. Apparently, the king was too fat, so his sword disappeared in his stomach. Yeah, find that. It's in the Bible. It's true. I'll challenge you on that one. That's about it. All right, so that's who they were expecting. Unfortunately, Jesus says different. He says something different. He says, that's not what you're going to get. And this is where we're going to start in Luke chapter 8. This is not what you're going to get. Now, interesting enough, Luke chapter 8, like uh, Brian said, it's very popular. Uh, we come to a place where, first of all, there's the famous parable of the sower. Then there's the uh, mom being stood up. Then uh, there's the uh, drowning of the pigs and the two healings of the hemorrhaging woman and the Jairus' daughter. The point I would like to make is this. What were your expectations when you came to know Christ? What was your expectation when you came to know Jesus, when you were baptized? Were you expecting him to solve all your problems? Because let me tell you this. Maybe it's time to evaluate your expectations. Because unfortunately, your expectations is the, are the key problem of why you cannot read the Bible broadly, why God's not speaking to you, why you, your faith is not deeper, and why you cannot see God in reality. It's because of our expectations. Maybe we need to check our expectations at the door. Maybe the reason why we don't see miracles, maybe because we don't see a changed life in us, is because of what we're expecting Jesus to do for us. That's what I want to make a point for. Okay, let's go on to ch chapter 8. Let's begin. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 8, verse 1. We'll begin there. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. 
and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Luke begins with something that we did not expect. What is it? Women not at home. Think about it. These women are not at home. In this culture, in that context in first century, these women are supposed to be what? Making dinner for their husbands. Taking care of kids. They should be married. They should be looking after their family, their husband, not to be traveling about, finding jobs just to support this itinerant preacher. A total flip. Luke knew his audience, and that audience was Jewish audience. And this would actually pull a bone, pick a bone, would bug them. Holy cow. Like, really, holy cow, right? The, the women here are not at home. And so, first lesson for us is, what were you expecting Jesus to do? Were you expecting him to just keep on status quo? Or were you expecting him to flip the whole social order around? Because now we notice that no, men are not just the learners, women are too. And no, men are not just the guys who go to work, women are too. And guess what? It's an equal playing field in Jesus' eyes. You notice that? So Luke, subtly, very subtle, says Jesus came to flip the world around, to flip our expectations. You're expecting women to be at home, and you're expecting men to actually fund Jesus' uh, um, preachings? No, it was the women. They actually went out. They, did, they weren't married. They were not married. And you know, unmarried women were nothing back then. And they found oddball jobs to support the disciples. They kept on traveling with them, finding oddball jobs just to support the disciples and Jesus. That's truly amazing. Next, you can continue on. So Jesus, right in the beginning, what does he do? He flips the social order. So if you're a woman, and, 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 uh, and you think that you know, this is a, such a male-dominant thing. No. Jesus came to create equality. Jesus, this was big. Jesus came to create equality between men and women. Everyone's the same. Everyone's on the equal playing field. Carry on that thought to Luke chapter 8, verse 8. Still, uh, and this is about a popular uh, parable, and I'm just going to grab a little bit of a tidbit of what was the highlight for me. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the, who hear the word, retain it, and by preserving, produce a crop. This is a very popular parable for many of us. Luke already gave us examples of the various types of soils prior to this parable, right? If you, if you know Luke well, uh, when Jesus was at the synagogue, he was reading the scroll and said that even the Gentiles and the big bad Romans will be invited to the kingdom of God. Remember that? And once he said that, what happened? The people were so pleased and then suddenly went really angry and wanted to push him off a cliff, right? Remember that? 
Okay, so that soil, what do you think that soil was? You, you take a guess. They didn't expect to hear these words from Jesus, right? A fellow Jew. These big bad Romans, horrible Romans, are also included in the kingdom of God? That's impossible. That's preposterous. That's actually blasphemy. No, throw him out the, over the cliff. I can't hear this. They were expecting somebody to say, pat them on the back, say, good job, Jews. You're in the kingdom. I'm here to annihilate the Romans. That's what they were saying. That's what they wanted to hear. They didn't expect it. Now, remember the other story. The Pharisee who invited Jesus for dinner, he didn't expect to witness a sinful woman come in and anoint Jesus with oil. Remember that one? Like, think about it. You're in this party, Christmas party, let's say, yesterday. And suddenly, Jesus comes in. We don't know that it was Jesus. And then we know a particular person in our lives that we know that we hated very much came in as well. Some, like, just picture the person that you hate the most, still, <laughs> or used to, that you don't like. Or a particular personhood, or like a particular, particular group of people that you don't like. And then this, uh, this bad person comes in with oil, anoints this guy's feet. And then you smell the perfume and all that stuff in the room during dinner while the modern strings are playing, and everything stops. What's your thoughts? Kind of uncomfortable, right? It is kind of uncomfortable to witness this. That's exactly what the fairy, this Pharisee witnessed. They cannot believe that this is happening. A person that you really didn't like much, you know is very filthy, and you know that she is very unrepentant many times, and suddenly comes to this gentleman, and, want, and, then, and this gentleman offers forgiveness to her. He didn't expect that. Then, of course, we had some thorny soil examples in chapter 7. We were giving examples of people wanting to follow Jesus, but Jesus was not a necessity, but a mere accessory. If you recall, you know, Jesus was walking down, and then there's a lot of people saying, hey, I will follow you, I will follow you. And then Jesus goes, okay, pick up your cross and follow me. Oh, wait, hey, 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 I got I to gotta bury my dead first. Or I got to go to mommy first and ask for permission. Or I got to like, uh, fix up my accounts. I got to invest in my GICs first and make sure that they're all in line. You know, like, I got to make sure that uh, you know, I got a career going. I got to make sure my food, like, headhunter is ready when I you know, decide to go back to work. Right? I could go back to the headhunter and say, hey, guess what? The calling thing didn't quite work out, so I'll just uh, go back. Right? Jesus says, nah, -uh. I'm supposed to be your necessity, your priority, not your accessory. They didn't expect that to hear that from Jesus. Religion was just merely something so that they could get back to the normal routine. They were supposed to expect God to come in, to send a mighty war, to eradicate the problems so that they could get back into normal life. They didn't expect Jesus to tell them to get rid of their normal life. You get it? So again, expectations. Jesus just didn't fulfill their expectations. And then we had good soil example. The centurion. The faith of the centurion. And what kind of centurion? Roman centurion. A Roman centurion's faith. And that is totally contrary to what the Jews were expecting. There were so many Jews already surrounding Jesus, Pharisees, temple priests, all like, like just think about it, it's like Christians all surrounding this great speaker. Then suddenly a person that they hate the most, and he didn't even show up, his servant did. And then there was somebody dying. 
And then the centurion just said, no, just, uh, just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus actually said, there's no other person that's faithful. No other faith that's greater than this, the faith of the centurion. What? You identify a Roman to be that faithful? You guys follow? Totally unexpected. So the question again I ask you, is there some things that we may not understand or may not see? Is there things that we may not understand and may not see of God's kingdom that's revealing to us? Is there some things that, may not, that we may not see and may not understand about our faith that's not, is preventing us from deepening our faith? Could it be because of our expectations of Jesus and what we want from him? Luke chapter 8, verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in and see the light for there is nothing hidden that will not be dis disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Jesus replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. What else were you thinking about when you got baptized? Did you think that you had a free ticket to heaven? Some people do. Some people, that, some Christians think that they could continue their normal lives, continue in their life of disobedience, maybe of selfishness, maybe like going, knowing full well they're doing something wrong in God's sight, but they go, you know what? I'm saved. I got a free ticket. I got baptized. I'm called a Christian. I'm in. Well, Jesus says here, blatantly clear, you're not in my family until you put my words into practice. Ouch. This is the fear of God that he's been preaching about, Jesus. We are to fear that in a holy, reverent fear, a fear that motivates us to continue to realize his love and grace. A fear that we continue to obey because in light of his grace that he has given us. That fear. Because if we do not have that, if we do not do that, he says, you're not in the kingdom. Sorry, don't know you. That's huge. That's not something that the Jews expected either. They thought that all I had to do is just obey a bunch of commands. That's it, right? No, unfortunately not. Jesus came to do the unexpected. All right. Am I going too fast? No. Good. So we're getting into the pigs. Luke, chap uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he, he fell asleep. Oh, sorry, it's not the pigs yet. It's the, uh, it's the storm. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him and saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. This scene pretty much squashed the disciples' expectations, right? Okay, we gotta ask ourselves, okay, who were they thinking Jesus is, right? Definitely, okay, we as, you know, people who have read the Bible and have read through the whole book of Luke, 
we would say, well, duh, disciples, this guy's God, right? You should know that by now. Well, they don't, because they don't have the gospel of Luke in front of them, right? They were with Jesus, right? So they didn't know that Jesus was God. But who were they really expecting Jesus to be? Well, remember Rambo? Well, Rambo could do anything but float. Maui, you know, have you seen Moana? <laughs> okay, I, I'm trying my best to make some comedy here. So anyway, they go, okay, heroes, kings, human beings don't float. Period, <laughs> right? They need to swim or they, or they drown, right? And if there's a storm, most likely you'll drown. So Jesus, if you're, you're a king, you're, you're, you're our king, you're a human being, uh, do something or let's get off the boat because we're all going to drown, so wake up, we got to go. That's what they're trying to tell Jesus. It's not to solve the storm. They're not trying to solve them. They're telling Jesus, no, you're our king. We got to protect you, Jesus. Wake up. We got to go. We got to get our life right and swim for it. Yet Jesus goes, who do you think I am? So then he goes, where is your faith? Where is your faith that you believe that Jesus is beyond your expectations? That he can do more than you expect? Why are you praying these little prayers? That's what he's actually trying to tell the disciples. Why are you praying these tiny prayers? Why are you praying that you could get out of the boat when you could, should be praying that the storms would be dying down? Why are you praying that you, you want to do the, like, for this healing when you actually should pray, what can you do to make this worthwhile for the world? You get it? Why are you praying for these little tiny things like your job when you should pray that, God, what do you want me to do to make an impact in this planet or to make an impact to this person that I, you just helped me encounter? Or when, why are we praying these tiny prayers? Why are you praying for these, uh, for, oh God, please protect my child? When you should say, oh God, please raise this child to a, be a God warrior. You get it? Are our prayers tiny compared to what Jesus can do? Because sometimes we have to evaluate, maybe our prayers aren't too, too tiny because this is what we expect Jesus to be. And so the disciples said, Jesus, you're just this human being. No, Jesus says. Pray that I could even calm the storm. Don't, think, don't just pray that we could just get out of the boat safely. Pray that we could calm the storm. Pray that I could command the storm. I command the winds and the waves. Maybe we have to treat Jesus that way too in our lives. Okay, let's continue. Now we come to the pigs. Verse 30 to 39. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion. I'm sorry, I tried my best. I couldn't do it. He replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Note, these demons needed Jesus' permission to do anything. Think about who Jesus is. Even demons have to wait for Jesus' permission. All right. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people who how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. 
The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man, man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. First thing to note, pigs were mentioned. So folks, are they Jews or Gentiles? Gentiles, thank you. Because the Jews never tasted heaven. Just kidding. Oh, it's another joke. I'm trying to. Okay, it's it's bacon. Sorry. Um, anyway, so they're Gentiles. We've been harping on the Jews, so let's take a look at the Gentiles and what they've been doing. So they're herding pigs, and then they did, and this army of demons left. And if you're a Jew listening to this and watching this, these armies of demons went into the pigs and now drowned. What story? In the Old Testament, it reminds you of that. We just visited it. The Egyptians, they drowned. What did the Jews wanted to do in first century in the New Testament? They wanted to see the Romans drown. And who is there to drown their enemies? Jesus. Think about it. So, who, so the Jews are looking at this and going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Prophets and kings don't do that. They don't drown enemies, right? Only God did that. And then they look at Jesus going, who, who are you? <laughs> right? They're, they're going, okay, who is this guy then? You just literally commanded demons. Who is this Jesus that has this power, this authority to command demons, to drown our enemies, the, the demons, into these pigs and into the water? So that's the Jews. But then we go, okay, what's up with the Gentiles? What happened? Why are they freaking out so badly? Well... Think about it this way. Yeah, let's pretend, put yourself in the, the Gentile shoes, uh, those pig herders. You've been raising these pigs for all your life, and this is your income here, right? Your life savings. Just think about it. This is your life savings here. And then you know about your friend. He's demon-possessed. He's a crazy man. You know, he's out of his mind, so we chained him. <laughs> you know, the best thing to do for a friend is to chain him on a rock and leave him there, right? So they did, right? And then, uh, you know, and then, uh, and then you go off on your own merry way raising pigs. Then suddenly, your pigs disappeared. Your pigs suddenly all gone, and it's like your life savings went down the drain. Literally went down the drain. So you go, uh-oh. Like you know that you wanted, you wanted healing for your friend. You know what that you wanted to best for your friend, but did you know the cost? So I was wondering about us. Do we know the cost of following Jesus? Let's give an example, even trying to make it similar to this one. You have a friend or a family member who's dying of cancer or whatever, and you're praying. And then God goes and says, okay, sell all your belongings, give up your life savings, and I'll heal your friend. Think about that. It's a similar situation. And then, so then these pig herders, what do they do? Life savings go down to drain. And then they go, oh, they're like freaking out, right? It's like, what do I do? What do I do? Like, my, all my money is gone. It's gone. Like, I just fed, like, like, I put all my life savings in this. And I even, like, leveraged it for my mortgage, right? Like, this is my assets that are going down a drain to leverage my mortgage for my house and everything. Did they completely ignore the fact that their friend was healed? Yes. Their friend, who was crazy, who was mentally ill, who had demon possession, was completely crazy really ill, naked and everything. Everybody knew that their friend was sick. But then once their life savings went away, who did they focus more of? 
their life savings. They completely ignored the fact that their friend was healed. They should be rejoicing, but instead they were freaking out. Question then, what kind of soil do, they, do you think they have? That's where the parable of the sower comes back. What kind of soil do they have? What kind of soil do we have? If God did call us that saying, hey, I will heal if you give up something, what would we say? Let's move on. Not something that we expect Jesus to say, is it? Verse 43, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, yeah, actually, he did that aggressively, by the way. You know, that, that was his tone. Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Let's put ourselves in the woman's shoes, the one with the hemorrhaging. This woman spent a lot of money in remedies and medical practitioners in her day. A lot of money. And she expected them to heal her. Instead, she was still bleeding. So in terms of that day, in that first century, she was filthy, literally, and filthy spiritually. Because the reason why she's not healed is because she's probably a bad sinner. That's what people thought. So, when she decided then to open herself up, you know, okay, you know what? I'm going to submit myself to Jesus. I'm going to expect nothing. I'm going to be the unexpected. I'm going to expect Jesus to do something that's completely unexpected. Maybe if I touch the cloak, maybe, who knows, but I'm at my last rope. I'm at my final card at the table. That's it. What happened to her? I wonder if we need that faith, just like the hemorrhaging woman. Like, I don't, you don't want to be where she was at, at the final card, right? You don't want to be at the last straw. We want to be before that. We want to give ourselves and submit ourselves to Jesus to, to, so that he could just give us a full life and not be in a time of tragedy. Maybe it is, maybe some of us do need that. But we pray, and I, hope, I pray for all of us that we don't need to, to have a time of tragedy to be at our last straw, to open ourselves up to Jesus. We should open ourselves up now. This hemorrhaging woman, this lesson, the Jairus' daughter lesson, is not about how it's, yes, it is about uh, Jesus uh, being able to heal, but it's more about saying, don't wait until that time to allow Jesus to do the unexpected. Do it now. Open yourselves up now to ask Jesus to do the unexpected in you. To open yourselves up, to broaden your expectations, to actually maybe even throw down your expectations of what you think Jesus is, and just to allow Jesus to speak to you and say, and open your eyes on knowing more of who he is even bigger of how, he, how capable he is and how powerful he is to do more things in you than you could ever imagine. Don't wait until this time. I think that's what Luke is trying to tell us. See, quite possibly, I think, for most of us, we are kind of like the pig herders. We freak out a lot. 
We get really nervous and anxious when things don't go our way, especially things that we invest in a lot of time and energy and money in. Like, think about it. What happens if your life savings just went poof, right? We would freak out, especially us with kids, right? We've been saving for them and everything, and suddenly it's gone, right? 2008, all of that, right? <laughs> that type of thing. But then maybe we're thinking too little. Every time we pray about health and uh, pray about uh, how God can provide for us and everything, maybe that's just a very small inkling of what we should be praying for. Jesus is bigger than that. Let's challenge ourselves. Ask ourselves, what are some of my life's expectations right now? House, good kids, good spouse, good job, good, good, you know, or even a relationship? Ask yourselves, maybe these expectations are preventing me from seeing and hearing and understanding the good news deeper, wider, and broader. Maybe the reason why we don't see miracles happening with us, around us, Maybe that, that, maybe that the reason why we don't read the Bible and it's not digging deep into us and broaden us is because we're reading it, looking at the world with expectations of our own. And maybe it's time to reevaluate and break those expectations.